Hey everybody, welcome to a very special true crime pop-up here on True Crime Paranormal. I'm Christy Brower and I will be your host this evening. As you know, we like to pop up a couple of times over the weekend, just kind of randomly when we have time, to tell you a quick story, give you a little uh, true crime shot in the arm over the weekend, and that is why I am here. So tonight, I want to talk about the Death House in New York City. You may be familiar with this house. It is a brownstone in Greenwich Village, and it is on uh, 14 West 10th Street in Greenwich Village. It was built in the 1850s, and it is believed that around 22 people have died in this house. And some very famous uh, things have occurred in this house. And maybe some very famous ghosts are in this house. So probably the most well-known is Samuel Clemens, or whom we know as Mark Twain. Mark Twain lived in this house for um, about a year from 1900 to 1901. He was writing pretty furiously at that time. This was getting near the end of his life and career. He was in pretty big trouble financially. So he was writing as fast as he could to try to get as much of his work out as possible to try to solve some of his financial problems. Now, here's the thing about Mark Twain. He didn't die in the death house. He died in Connecticut. But he is known to be seen wandering around, particularly the staircase of this house. And, you know, when I look into a situation like that, what I see here is it's not really his ghost. It's a it's an energy signature of him because he was there at a very stressful time in his life. And so he left quite a signature of energy there. My sense of him is that he did quite a bit of pacing up and down those stairs when he was thinking and had writer's block and was struggling to come up with, you know, his latest big idea. Excuse me. Ugh. So, but I do think it's very interesting because I'm a huge fan of Mark Twain. And so I love stories about him. One of the stories uh, that is well-known for him in this house is that he would be seen, you know, wandering around the staircase uh, in his white suit. Of course, he was well-known for wearing white suits. And at one point, he is said to have said to a woman and her daughter, my name is Clemens, and I has a problem here I got to settle. And it feels like that was a financial problem. And this just kind of, you know, got stuck there because it was such a strong emotional response from him. Bianca in the chat says, do you think most hauntings are really just energy imprints? I do. Yes, I do think the vast majority of them are. And the ones that I have personally visited and worked on, they are for the most part energy imprints. It's pretty uncommon for the spirit of someone to actually be stuck in a place like that. But as we know, I mean, have you ever had someone 
walk out of the room and you could palpably feel the energy of the person that had been in the room with you after maybe a very heated or emotional conversation, that's an energy signature. We all leave them around. One of the places that I have felt the most energy signatures is in Seattle. Now, Seattle, there's the Seattle Underground, which is the original city of Seattle. It was built up to protect it from the ocean. And you can go and walk around all over in the underground of Seattle and you feel all of this energy of people, the bustling of people. You can almost hear like horse hooves. Like I had a lot of experiences down there and they were energy imprints. They weren't actual people stuck there. It was just that the same thing happened over and over and over again in that place for so long that that energy just began to repeat. How would you clear an energy imprint? That's very good. You actually can clear an energy imprint. I have done them all the time. And it is just clearing the energy of the space and releasing that energy. Now, it takes some skills as a healer to do that, but it is entirely possible. So that is something that, you know, I have done before in various places when I feel like an energy imprint is just repeating. Uh, I think people might not be very happy with me if I did that in the death house, though, because I honestly think people kind of like that the energy is there. That is part of the draw of this house. Now, another fairly well-known family that lived there. So at one point, this, this had been a single family home, very large one, that was eventually converted into 10 apartments, this building. It blows me away that it was a single family home that then became 10 apartments because that doesn't seem like a single family home to me at all. But anyway, I digress. So according to, um, well, a bunch of different uh, sources, the actress Jan Bryant Bartell lived there in 1957 with her husband. And she was known as a psychic. And she said that she felt almost immediately a monstrous moving shadow that loomed up behind her. She did actually write a book about her experiences while living here in the house. And at one point she talked about that she saw a vision of a man and she reached out to touch him. And what she wrote is that she touched a substance without substance, chilly, damp, diaphanous as marsh mist or a cloud of ether. Now, an energy would, could feel like that. But that could also be a spirit because spirits tend to feel very cold, change the temperature, change, and that sort of almost viscous energy. I know exactly what that feels like. And so I feel like what she experienced was the actual energy of a spirit, not just the energy of an imprint. In that, at that time, um, it really had a significant impact on her, and she wrote a book about it. She did write a lot about um, other people who had died there as well. And, you know, the, the thing about it was that, for the most part, they didn't die under nefarious circumstances. It's just that you have a building that old. Yeah, people are going to die in the building. And sometimes 
their energy signatures are left behind. Sometimes they get stuck. There were experiences with a woman in white in that house. I do feel like that was the energy imprint of someone who died there. A small gray cat. Cats have a tendency to come back to where they lived and sort of run around, you know, and do the things that they used to do when they were alive. I have a cat that I sometimes still see running around the corner, you know. And so that doesn't surprise me too much. And of course, we had Mark Twain. And then something happened in the death house that wasn't just what we might call a haunting, but was in fact an actual, very violent crime. So in 1987, Joel Steinberg was living in the house with his partner and her name, sorry, I need to find that. Her name was uh, Nussbaum. She was a, had a Nussbaum and she was a children's writer. So on November 1st, um, 1987, Hedda called 911 because their young daughter, Lisa, was injured. What the police found when they came was that uh, Lisa had a very serious head injury. She went, she was in the hospital for three days and then she died after she was removed from life support. She had very clearly been assaulted quite significantly. Um, also, there was a little boy, a toddler named Mitchell, who had who also showed signs of physical abuse, as did had an bomb. She had broken bones. And so obviously there was a domestic violence situation going on in the in the house. Now, this was a very strange situation because Joel Steinberg was Ernie. And he had both children, Lisa and Mitchell, under nefarious circumstances they would they were like basically illegal adoptions I, I don't know how else to say it. they weren't really adoptions what happened is that uh Steinberg had had two different families come to him at various times having small children that they couldn't take care of and that they wanted to adopt them out, basically. Well, what he did is he took them and he kept them. Instead of adopting them out and, and doing legal adoptions, he just kept them and he and his partner, Hedda Nussbaum, raised them. Um, really a strange, strange situation, but it sort of was the icing on the cake for this house, unfortunately. Um, Steinberg and Nussbaum were charged with first-degree murder and Lisa's death. Uh, Nussbaum was not prosecuted because she did give evidence against Steinberg. Steinberg apparently was on uh, quite a binge of crack cocaine at the time, and he had injured all of the, all of the members of his family. And it sounded like there had been some history of domestic violence there as well. Um, they could not charge him with first-degree murder. Now, get this. This was interesting to me as a true crime podcaster. At the time, so this is in 1987, 
he couldn't be charged with first degree murder because first degree murder only applied if you killed a police officer or if you were had committed murder while you were already serving a sentence for another murder. So like while you were in prison. So that was really weird. Ultimately, Steinberg was only convicted of first degree manslaughter, which no one was very happy with. And the judge did give him the maximum that he could for that charge, which was eight and a third to 25 years in state prison. He served about seven years and came out in 2004. Uh, just a strange, strange situation that that did happen in the house. Now, one thing to note is that Lisa lay injured on the kitchen floor for between eight and 10 hours before had a Nussbaum called the police. She may have lived had Nussbaum not waited so long. Now, we don't know the whole situation because Nussbaum was also hurt. And the toddler was actually sort of tied into a playpen or a crib so that he couldn't get out. And he, you know, obviously had, you know, had a mess because he'd, you know, been going to the bathroom there and, and was injured. And Nussbaum actually had broken bones. I mean, she was seriously injured. But at some point she was able to call 911, but there was never a very clear story about why. Um, what we do know is that Joel Steinberg beat them all up and then he left with his friends and did a bunch of partying on cocaine. So it's easy to say that this is a evil house and that's why evil things happen to it in it the, the scary part is that if we were to research the places where we live we would probably find deaths in all of them so i can't really say yes for sure that the death house was you know had a hand in the murder of lisa i'm not so sure that it did honestly i feel like this was just a horrible situation Unfortunately, but there have been some very interesting things in the house. And of course, there has been a little girl sighted in the house or the energy of a little girl, you know, as well as Mark Twain and so many others. And so this is a pretty famous house. It was owned by Nicolas Cage for quite a while. And then he lost it in a bankruptcy, apparently. And it is now owned by an oil tycoon. It's kind of, um, kind of a, a, celebrity magnet at this point that people just want to own it because it's haunted is it really haunted i don't know there's definitely some energy signatures in the house and i feel like there might be one actual entity in the house but very interesting certainly a place i would like to visit and get more information about you know i do feel that poor little lisa did move on and that she was never actually stuck in the house after she died. She she wasn't. She died and then she she moved on. I don't feel like Mark Twain is stuck in the house either. I do feel those were energy signatures created by the experiences that went on. But I do feel there is one entity in this house that is, in fact, stuck in the house. And maybe actually causing most of what they're seeing. 
other than just those energy signatures of Mark Twain. And I feel like he just was in such a, a volatile period of his life that the energy of what he was feeling really got stuck in the house. So that is the story of the death house in New York City. So, you know, if you live there and would like to, you know, go check it out, you certainly could. It's in Greenwich Village. You can walk right past it. Go walk by it and see what you feel. It's in Greenwich Village. The address is 14 West 10th Street in Greenwich Village. So it's a fairly um, well-known and beautiful neighborhood, known for being a beautiful tree-lined place. Lots of um, brownstones that look the same. But go check it out if you live there. I'd love to know what you feel when you walk by. Well, this has been a true crime pop-up. And you know it. We are True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. Thanks for joining. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always like and subscribe there as well. We also love comments and reviews. True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower. True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast.